You are entering the Freedom Hut. We are counting down the hours until the expected bombshell Inspector General report from the Department of Justice is released. Will it be a reckoning for some of the senior officials who have since been ousted and ignominiously so? McCabe, Comey, and perhaps some others, will they come under tremendous scrutiny? Will there be follow-on consequences for them? Plus, what's going on in the aftermath of elections that happened this week in the primaries? Any lessons at the national level? We'll talk about that and also follow up to North Korea and so much more. Coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me. Thank you so much for joining. Honor, privilege, and pleasure. Honestly, single best part of my day is getting to hang out with all of you. My days have a lot going on right now. We had our first uh, our first show here at Hill.TV. Um, it's coming along, a lot of fun. hope you can uh, check it out when you get a chance. Just go to Hill.TV slash rising. Uh, we j- just getting off the ground with it. Uh, we had Senator Ted Cruz join today. We'll have uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions join tomorrow, which is perfect timing because you got this IG report that is going to cause some serious headaches based on everything I'm hearing, and I've heard a lot about this one. It's going to cause some serious headaches for the the cabal at the DOJ. We might start to get some more definitive answers on just what happened here. Might get a little little more. Um, And I think you're going to see people step away a bit from the Comey as the last honest man in America, and McCabe was just doing what any any good G-man would have done in his shoes. And this, this report that I told you about earlier in the week, by the way, has really got a lot of people fired up uh, about Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who should be recused from all of these matters anyway. I mean, if Sessions is recused, Rosenstein should be recused. But that there may have been this back and forth where you really saw the bureaucracy bare its teeth and possibly threaten oversight. That is, my friends, that is a red line. You cannot have that. If we are going to be a country that is really uh, about rule of law and and if we're going to have not just elected officials, but bureaucrats with a lot of power, be accountable. They cannot get away with that kind of behavior. Now, it's not entirely confirmed yet, but it certainly seems plausible. You will recall I told you, and I've been telling you all along, that there is a uh, circle the wagons mentality among bureaucrats. They really believe that the institution that they work in, they really believe that the people that are around them are engaged in a near sacred mission, and it's even more important than the truth. It's even more important than accountability. You know, it's, it's really the, you know, Colonel Nathan, Nathan R. Jessup view of the bureaucracy. But the thing is, at least Colonel Jessup was a colonel in the military, right? Like, he's actually manning the wire at night. 
These guys are at desks at Maine Justice here in D.C. These, these guys are swamp dwellers. They go from desk to conference room to coffee machine, right? But it's the do not question the, uh, the blanket of freedom you sleep under. Signed, DOJ Cabal. That, that's really the attitude you get from them. And I, I saw it. I saw it firsthand when I was in the CIA from some folks. I, it, the old joke about the State Department. And it's one of the first things I heard from State Department, well, not from them, but about them. And it was very true was uh, that presidents come and go, but the State Department is forever. This is this is what people say about the institution. You think the DOJ is any different? At least the bureaucrats at Foggy Bottom over at Maine State, they can't throw you in prison. But Comey and McCabe and these people, they can throw you in prison. They can throw a presidential election. You know, for every person who says, oh, Comey threw the election against Hillary, I want to say Comey saved Hillary from prison. You're going to you're going to tell me that now you're going to whine about saving the election for Trump or throwing the election for Trump when when any straightforward reading of federal statute would have been at least criminal charges brought against Hillary Clinton, which would have been the end of her would have been the end of her presidential run. I think even a Clinton with the full backing of the media, the complicit, uh, devoted, throne-shining media, led now by CNN, but there are others in there as well, the Clinton News Network and all the rest, that, you know, even with all of them, they wouldn't have been able to push Hillary over the finish line if she was, faced, if she was under actual indictment. I, I think that would have been a problem. Now we're going to finally get an accounting of the truth, and it should be released, I believe, tomorrow morning, according to my sources. I was over at the Department of Justice today. So I'm, I'm trying to pound the pavement down here, folks. I Look, I, I've told you this. I love New York City. I am not well disposed toward the swamp, really in any respect. But if I'm going to be here, I'm going to use it for our advantage. And I am working sources and methods and all kinds of stuff down here i am really chasing down as much info as i can and getting it in advance as much as i can so uh, everything that i'm finding out by the way it just looks worse and worse for the doj all the time i'm not the only one who thinks that this is a big problem too uh, you got a the, the dirsh I, sometimes when i talk about the dirsh it sounds like i'm talking about the mooch a the mooch and a dirsh we got to get them on the show at the same time by the way i didn't realize bro cuomo Actually, there's like video of him lifting on like he posts it. I didn't really like I just assumed he was a bro. Like, you know, he's the kind of guy who who works out in a tank top. That's like really showing a lot of skin. I don't know. That's just my guess. You know, he's like hey, like one of the guys from the Jersey Shore. But turns out that he's actually he, he is. a He is a gym rat. Hey, congrats. I mean, I'm, I'm fighting the dad bod, too. So that's nice for him. But uh, you got bro Cuomo. You got the Dersh. You got the Mooch. We give out fun names here. Not as good as Trump's names, though. I don't know if Punchy De Niro is really going to stick. Not his best. It's not his best work. It's not up there with... I mean, Crooked Hillary, I think he may have won the election based on that. I mean, that may have been the, the, the difference maker, just calling her Crooked Hillary all the time, because you can't miss it. She is crooked. Crooked Hillary. It's brilliant. Corrupt Hillary doesn't have the same ring, you know? Corrupt Hillary sounds like something that a very astute 
editorialist from the Weekly Standard would come up with. Not to put it down, it just doesn't have the same punch, you know? Ah, but the Dersh weighed in on it with the Rosenstein situation. Did Rosenstein growl at the Senate, or, or in this case, sorry, House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence in a meeting some months ago? Here's what he said, play clip two. The legislature has the power, obviously, to oversee and investigate the executive branch. And a member of the executive branch, which is what Rudd Rosenstein is, shouldn't be able to bully the legislative branch. He should be transparent. He should turn over the documents. He should be cooperative. And Congress should be cooperative with the executive branch. That doesn't seem like too much to ask, right? Notice the, the media, by the way. I mean, they're such, they're such snakes. They really are. You know, I, I'm not, of course, they're writing a little bit about this, but they're not advocating for transparency at all. Yeah, they'll talk. They, they, will, they will report on it. They will check in and just you know, say, yeah, this is a thing that's happening. This is what they do all the time. But what they won't do is say, wow, there's real stonewalling going on here. Congress has the right to ask for this information, specifically to prevent the kind of abuses that we are almost certain happened. But they want to stop us from that. They don't, they don't want to allow the American people to find out the truth. And the media is all, oh, you know, hey, how many media organizations are filing FOIAs and, and really trying to track this stuff down? You know, it's, it's very clear to me they can get all hissy about fake news, but they are fake news. It's true. They are. A bunch of phonies. I have no problem. I have more respect for, you know, gosh, it's hard for me to say this. It's true, though. I have more respect for uh, Huffington Post and the Young Turks than for, than for CNN and the Washington Post. Because at least they, you know what they are and they, they own it. Right. Young Turks is like, we're progressives. OK, I disagree with them on stuff, but at least they're progressives. You know, you go down, you, you try to read a Washington Post column or you read uh, what's by, and by the way, I'm seeing other journalists that are getting all involved in this controversy with the uh, the the woman who's the source. She, sorry, the journalist who's the uh, using the, the guy as the source from the Senate. Uh, you know, former Senate aide, and now he's coming up on classified charges. And by the way. The allegation is not that he was leaking information that was whistleblower stuff. He was leaking information to try to sink people around Trump, trying to make first Carter Page is entitled to some privacy, right? Is entitled to not have classified information on him leaked to the media. You would think that's the allegation that's out there is that this guy leaked it. And people are saying, oh, this journalist, you know, don't don't judge her too quickly. Uh, I don't know her, but. And I don't I don't claim to be a big J journalist, but I have a feeling if I were having a sexual relationship with somebody and it involved the uh, receipt of classified information that I was then making a career on or or using to advance my career, that people would have a problem with that. So I don't know. These ethics seem very malleable to me. I I don't really know what the rules actually are. You know, they're all about the they're all about the truth. They're all about the facts until they're not. And with this whole situation unfolding at the uh, Department of Justice, you can just see how is this not the biggest story in the country by far for every news outlet? And how are they not jumping on the fact that there's obvious and clear stonewalling going on? Oh, here's the main story on CNN. 
Pence accused of hijacking evangelical meeting and she was breastfeeding her daughter when officials took her about the border, about immigrants, illegal aliens. Those that those are the biggest stories in the country right now. Oh, and then they go to Padme, uh, Padma Lakshmi, who I know from Top Chef. I could have been that child torn from her mother. I mean, they're really going after the, the sob stories here about border policy. You could do this with any number of things. Yeah, you could do this with any person, any white collar criminal that you can think of. Go spend 10 minutes with that. With It's usually it's usually guys. Let's be honest. Go spend 10 minutes with that guy and his family and with his family. You know, if they're not going to see the their father, their husband for the next three, four, maybe 10 years, they're going to cry a lot. A lot of those cases are like, who really was the victim here? Some corporation? Can't he just pay restitution? Laws have negative consequences for people when they break them. But they don't want to talk about that. They don't want to. They're just. See, the narrative creation. This is what they do. It's not that they're making things up. It's that the way they're presenting them is intended to bring about a perception that is not in line with reality. Another way of saying that is propaganda. But they think they're the real the real deal. They think they're the, the honest brokers and all this. Meanwhile, you got Jim Jordan on the House running around saying that this is just crazy. What's going on with the Department of Justice? That they've they've shown themselves to be untrustworthy. Play clip four. You're almost flabbergasted. I, I mean, what, what is the attorney general saying? Rod Rosenstein hasn't complied with Devin Nunes uh, subpoena, hasn't complied with Chairman Goodlatte's subpoena. We've caught them hiding information in the Strzok page text messages, redacting the fact that Peter Strzok was friends with Judge Contreras, one of the FISA court judges. They tried to hide that from us. And today we learn in Catherine's report that the head of the, in, in essence, the head of the Justice Department, Rod Rosenstein, was threatening members of the House Intelligence Committee for doing their job, for trying to get answers for the American people. And the attorney general says, that's OK, we're doing just fine. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He sounds like Buck Sexton. It's one of my favorites. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's the way it should be said, because I don't know what I don't know what else to say. There is clearly foul play at work. The most troubling government agency to go political is the Department of Justice. And it doesn't matter what the day to day. I don't care what the what DOJ officials, you know, who are down the chain of command doing this or that, whatever. You only have to have a few people who use and abuse their power in certain cases, at certain times, in certain ways, to change the course of American politics and with it American history. It only takes a handful of powerful, unaccountable bureaucrats to put their hand on the scale for the progressives, for the left, for the Democrats. And what we are seeing is that that is what happened. And maybe it is time we all came to terms with that, including the rest of the media that is just either asleep at the wheel on this or, much more likely, just disgustingly ethically compromised. Because they've been telling us that Trump's the problem. All right, 844-900-BUCK if you want to call in. 844-900-2825. We will be right back. I'm confident that... Uh, 
Uh, Deputy Rosenstein, 28 years in the Department of Justice, uh, did not improperly threaten anyone on that occasion. Uh, but uh, we do believe that we have tried to be uh, cooperative with them and made progress in the in months as as the months have gone by and in fact have had some good relationships with top members of congress well you know the attorney general saying that he's not that worried about it uh, that was from i think tucker show I, I spoke to uh sessions and asked him the same question and or asked him about the, the same issue, I should say, Rosenstein. I didn't ask him specifically about um, the standoff, the uh, squaring off, because I wanted to focus on some other things. But he has uh, he has faith in Rosenstein still. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Uh, you got Jim Jordan on the other side. He, he does not have, <laughs> to put it mildly, he does not have faith in Rosenstein at this point and thinks that there's clearly something going on where DOJ is trying to stare down the oversight committee. Here's what Jim said. Play five. How about extortion when you're threatening members of a standing committee, the House of Representatives, for doing their job? We know these individuals. I know who these guys are. They work their tail off. These are the guys who helped put together that, that, that memo which talked about what went on at the FISA court and the fact they didn't tell the FISA court who paid for the dossier. They didn't tell the FISA court that Christopher Steele had been fired by the FBI for leaking information. These are the guys who put that together and they're being threatened by Rod Rosenstein. This is as wrong as it gets. Remember what I have been telling you for many months. If you had spent the better part of your adult life working as a prosecutor or working at the Department of Justice in one capacity or another, or if the pinnacle of your adult life was having some very senior, powerful job in the uh, criminal justice, the federal criminal justice system, what would you be willing to do if you had that mentality, if you were a Long-time bureaucrat, what would you be willing to do to protect the institution that that has given your professional life meaning? It doesn't just have to be, friends, about yay for Hillary, nay for Trump. That That's a part of it. That's not all of it. There's also the bureaucracy, to borrow from Terminator and Skynet, the bureaucracy can become self-aware. And that's what's happened here. We're a separate branch of government. They don't have the right to do that unless we've, we're coming under some kind of criminal investigation. And for the attorney general to say he's confident that, that Rod Rosenstein did everything right, oh well, I'm confident he doesn't know what he's talking about. I, I'm here to tell you, we're, we're fed up with it. Uh, we've been working on a resolution. We've got a resolution here tonight. It's all about compelling DOJ to turn over documents so that we can do proper oversight. You know, if they have nothing to hide, turn over yeah. the documents. This is, is just inexcusable. Here we are, folks. I mean, we, we got to get some answers here. We got to know what's really happening. I, I, I'm hearing some, some, some shade being thrown the way of, of my main man, Jeff Sessions. You all know I like him, mostly because he calls into the radio show on a regular basis, which we appreciate. It's nice to have the Attorney General join. And I actually got to speak to him this week as well. Uh, but I, I, wanna, I want an honest opinion here about what's really happening. And we can't get a better one than from our friend Andy McCarthy. You all know him from his writing at National Review. He's got a piece up there right now. Rod Rosenstein's subpoena threat. He's conflicted and he's acting like it. Andy, great to have you back. Thanks for uh, being with us. Buck, it's my pleasure. Great to be here. 
you know, uh, something, this is just, something smells funky here, Andy, and, and I, I want to know what you think you're smelling when it comes to the possibility of Rosenstein telling oversight in the Congress, telling the congressional over, folks from a congressional oversight committee, uh, you know, we, we can play dirty too. What do you think is going on? Well, I don't want to come down like a ton of bricks for that on Rosenstein for, for two reasons, Buck. Number one, it happened five months ago, you know, so this is not like something that happened last week. Um, whatever happened in that room on January 10th, uh, it seems like everybody went back to their neutral corners after that, uh, and this was not a crisis until, or at least a, a big uh, controversy until uh, yesterday when the, the Catherine Herridge of Fox did a, a fabulous bit of reporting. Uh, so I, I don't want to go too crazy on that. And the other reason is, uh, you know, I've been in some of these high-pressure situations where people lose their temper at the other side and they say all kinds of intemperate things. And I imagine what probably happened after this is, uh, you know, everybody sort of said they were sorry and and promised to do better the next time. So I, I'm not that whipped up over the fact um, th- that Rosenstein may have blown a gasket and threatened to do something he had no business threatening to do. What I'm more concerned about is we are five months down the road, and while I, I had a lot of patience for him, even if uh, people wouldn't exactly uh, grasp that from what I've written because I've been critical of Rosenstein for not following the regs when he appointed Mueller. Um, but I do understand his need to protect the institution and to protect national defense information, to protect methods and sources of intelligence. I get that. And I think it was appropriate for him to raise that with the House. But you have to do it in a way that's both respectful and deferential and understands where your place in the universe is in this equation. And his place is, uh, he is a, an officer of the executive branch whose position and whose agency was created by Congress, which has the absolute undeniable right to conduct oversight. And while it's fine for him to raise with Congress concerns about not disclosing too much information or revealing too much information if there really is an authentic national security concern we all know that that ability to classify documents becomes a black box where you can tuck a lot of stuff that's embarrassing and that you prefer for people not to see and five months down the road is to have turned over these documents Andy, I got to ask is you know I, I pose this actually to the attorney general and folks can hear his answer uh, tomorrow, uh, I met with him this afternoon for a while to talk about all these issues. And I said, how is it that Rosenstein, who is involved in the firing of Comey, which comes under the broad umbrella of the Mueller investigation? How is it that Rosenstein doesn't have to recuse himself from all this? I, I don't really understand that. And and I got to tell you, well, Jeff Sessions was like, well, it's a judgment call. And, and that's the judgment I made. That was pretty much the answer. Yeah, well, that's not a good enough answer, and I say that as someone who likes the Attorney General just as you do. Yeah. But it seems to me that on two grounds, uh, Rosenstein has a conflict that is much more profound than the conflict that caused Sessions to recuse himself, which at the time Sessions recused himself uh, was not required by 
the regulations and was much more uh, contingent and hypothetical than the conflict we're dealing with now. The first thing is what you just mentioned, which is which is an absolute bullseye. I don't agree that firing the uh, FBI director is grist for a criminal investigation because it's something the president has the power to do undoubtedly. And I don't think you can cite a president for obstruction of justice for conduct that is not on its face unlawful and that is in his unquestioned constitutional prerogative. So I say this as someone who is not a fan of that investigation, but uh, the investigation is ongoing and it is ongoing by Mueller with the approval of Rosenstein, who has allowed this to go forward. Now, there is no question, no matter what you think of this and whether you think it's the slam dunk obstruction case of all time or you think it's totally frivolous, as I do, the fact of the matter is, whatever you think of the transaction, Rosenstein's in the middle of it. He is unquestionably a witness who is a material witness in connection with Comey's firing. He wrote the memo. That was the memo that they used as the rationale publicly, at least initially, for firing Comey. And the precise target of Mueller's investigation involves whether Trump is being straight about why uh, Comey was fired. So it's clear that Rosenstein is an actor in the facts of that transaction, and he's got no business being a lawyer in it. And that is not me saying he's done anything wrong. It's, it's important to underscore this. In a conflict situation, this, the, the thing you're homing in on is not whether someone has committed misconduct, but whether somebody has a motive uh, in the investigation that cuts against his ability to act objectively as a lawyer in the situation and as objective as you can be as a lawyer for a client. And it's like conflicts 101 that if you're an actor in the facts of a situation, you can't be a lawyer in that situation. So it, it defies reason to me that he continues to be a lawyer uh, representing and actually leading the Justice Department in that connection. And I guess the second thing is the thing he's having the big fight with the House about. The House investigation is primarily about investigative irregularities and specifically about abuse of the FISA process. And Rosenstein signed the last FISA application. Uh, that's exactly what they're investigating. So, again, he's in the middle of the facts. Doesn't mean he did anything wrong, but he's got no business being... Yeah, he's not a non he, he's not a you know or a an uninterested party in all this, Andy. Obviously, I mean the case you've just made, I'm sitting here I'm like how how is this how have we even gotten to this point where he's overseeing, still in charge, and meanwhile Jeff Sessions is in the corner, hands tied, just trying to, you know, push immigration policy stuff for, or immigration enforcement forward. And I'm sitting around like this just doesn't make any sense to me. I also want to ask you about the I, I, you might have seen this piece, Andy, from uh, Byron York about the three oh twos. Uh, with regard to the Michael Flynn investigation, that also stinks to high heaven for me. How is it that the bureau is saying, "Sorry, can't release the can't release those three o twos. No one's allowed to see them because it might prejudice an ongoing investigation." The guy's already pleaded guilty. Yeah, it's complete nonsense. They don't want to turn over the information, and I I would point out that in the Hillary Clinton emails investigation, which we know the FBI could have reopened on a dime because it did right. In, in October, right before the election, they reopened the investigation. They put the whole file out. 
everybody's 302s got put out, even though that investigation uh, was in a position where just one piece of evidence evidently could have caused it to be reopened. So when they tell you that they can't uh, make that stuff public, that's absolutely not the case. They could absolutely make it public. They just don't so, want to. I mean, a- Andy, at this point, I know you can't see into the future, and I'm not asking you to predict things that are, or, or to tell me things that I know you haven't seen either, but would it surprise you to find out that the decision to charge General Flynn by Mueller, and you're a guy who was a prosecutor for, what, 20-plus years in the Southern District in New York, uh, would it surprise you to find out that it probably could have gone either way, and in this case, the tie did not go to General Flynn? I, I think that is probably as um, as gracious a way of summing it up in Mueller's favor. I mean, it just seems to me uh, that the the people who interviewed him didn't think that he misled them, uh, and the investigation was premised on a, a potential violation of the Logan Act, which is a preposterous basis to start an investigation over. Uh, and what he's alleged to have lied about it seems to me to be nonsense. So, uh, I, you know, I, I think on several counts, you could easily see, especially given what, uh, what his record of service was, that is uh, General Flynn's to the country, a sensible exercise of prosecutorial discretion would have been uh, to not prosecute, particularly when it's hard to identify a crime and when the people in the room didn't think they witnessed one. Well, Andy, we're going to have to have you back once this Inspector General report from the Department of Justice is, is released. I'm sure you could probably have a column up this weekend, right? I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm guessing. Always, always Saturday, for sure. <laughs> yeah, Saturday. So I'll be looking for your column, and we'd love to have you back next week to talk about that. Everybody, check out Andy's writing uh, the, the best of the best on this, uh, nationalreview.com, Andy McCarthy. Andy, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Buck. Take care. All right, team, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. You heard it from Andy right there. I think that's what we're going to find out. I think Mueller, I think Mueller did Flynn dirty. So we'd say it, that's how we'd say it at the NYPD, did him dirty. He got jammed up. That's what I think happened. What do you think? We've got some lines lit. We are lit in the Freedom Hut. Let's get some calls going here. We've got uh, Ed in California. Hello, Ed. Ed, are you there, buddy? Hello, Mr. Sexton. Hello. How you doing, Mr. Sexton? Good to I'm, talk to you. I'm good. Good to talk to you. Yeah, it's been a long time. I remember back when... Uh, oh, first off, congratulations on your new show, man. I can't wait to sign up for that. Thank you. It's free, so you can watch anytime you want. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait to sign up for that. Um, let me get you on the regular phone real quick. So, <laughs> sure, buddy. Uh, hey, get the regular no, phone. Just... Get a sandwich. Come out to the coast. Have a few laughs. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, what I want to tell you, I mean, this the media is absolutely out of its mind right now. Oh yeah. I mean, if you look. You see, you know, like, uh, for example, when Mr. Trump was in North in Singapore, they had the Korean flag, North Korean flag, and the American flag together. They had an absolute fit. But if you look when Obama met Mr. Castro, 
there was the Cuban flag and the American flag together, and they cheered. It's it's getting so out of control that you can't even. There is no two ways about anything. Yeah, no, it's there's a lot of bias, my friend. That's why I talk about it here on the show. Anything else you got for us? And uh, uh, another thing I wanted to mention, I don't know if you remember, but when President Trump was running, while you were on the blaze on Saturday mornings, I called you. You said, can we have any Trump supporters call me? So I called you and told you why. I said Ted Cruz was a little bit too conservative for us. And we wanted something different. And you sort of kind of giggled at me a little bit. And it's, it's kind of good to see that you've come around to the bright side. Well, I don't remember the call. And also, I didn't have a Saturday show when Trump was running. But I do agree that uh, it was a good thing Trump won. So there you go. And I appreciate you calling in, Ed. Uh, Kenny in Boston. My brother from Boston. Kenny, always good to hear from you. What's up? Yes, I want to just say that I'm always appreciative and gracious that you take my calls all the time, but I've never mentioned, and I really want to appreciate it, I want to say that I, I appreciate your articulate, broad insight that you always have, and um, your arrival up in Boston. I never congratulated him. I'm sorry, I never did. But anyway, um, I wanted to tell you that uh, I'm up here in Boston. I have a doctorate degree and I consider myself fairly educated. I listen to you, and I listen to all these people, and I understand the stuff. But in over the past month, it seems like there's been an acceleration of complexity in the political issues, almost as a cloud. And I'm having trouble following along. And I think that most of the the uh, little people, little people, the lesser uh, people who don't want to get involved in it, they don't understand it at all, and they don't care, and they don't want to know, and they just want to know who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, you know, which the media is going to say Trump's the bad guy. So they have a potential to win on that level. Yeah, they, well, sure, and, and uh, it's all become an extension of personal identity now, too, which is really troubling. It's Politics should be about ideas. It shouldn't be about how you feel about yourself, right? If somebody comes to me with an idea that I think is good, I'll go with that idea. It's not, well, you're, you're something else. You know, you, you identify as a, uh, a Democrat or a socialist or whatever. And so I don't want to hear it. But the problem is there are some root fallacies with leftists, with Democrats that keep coming up time and time again. I mean, there's a, a fundamental misunderstanding of human nature at the root of much of the progressive bad policies that you hear. Uh, for example putting the collective before the individual, right? I refer to them as collectivists sometimes, as, as you know, Kenny. And that is always going to result in unjust outcomes because the basis of moral action and accountability has to be the individual. And this is where conservatives and liberals differ. And as you know, also, I don't even like calling them liberals because they're actually anti-liberty. But I tried years yeah. ago to get people to start switching to leftists and liberals is just a handier term, but it's really a misnomer. They are not liberal. They are anti-liberal. Uh, Anyway, Kenny, it's good to hear from my friend. I appreciate you calling in. Uh, Some elections this week, primary stuff, nothing too crazy. We'll talk about one interesting primary guy, probably in the third hour today. It involves the application of a self-defense weapon. That's going to be weird. Uh, We've got more of that and uh, stuff coming up. 
Our sponsor this half hour is the novel Anubis. The enigmatic U.S. president is dead. ISIS is attacking on multiple fronts. And the U.S. Special Forces call on a mercenary cyber warrior to stop the crisis. This is Anubis. An aging Marine sergeant and battle-worn Army major face an enemy that turns the Internet into a terrorist weapon and makes our existing concepts of security archaic. A catastrophe of biblical proportions is about to unfold. The new president is facing a ruthless, relentless caliphate, and our military and elected leaders have no means to stop it. The only real questions are when and where. This is Anubis. Today's headlines show us what is happening in the Middle East. Author Eric Anderson reveals the frightening possibilities that remain with Anubis. Eric Anderson is a former undercover U.S. intelligence agent. His new novel, Anubis, is available from Dunn Books. Go to Amazon.com or visit DunnBooks.com and type in A-N-U-B-I-S. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. So there were some uh, primaries that happened uh, yesterday. The most interesting one by far, I think, was... Mark Sanford, who lost, who lost to, what was it, Arrington down in, uh, in Carolina? Which Carolina? I'm actually, it's in South Carolina, right? I can't believe I just blanked on that one. But he lost. He, here is his uh, concession speech in Precy. Do we have it? Play it. Numbers of uh, Purcell, but I, I've always been a realist, and at this point, based on the numbers I see, I think that I'll end up losing this election. So, yep, he's going to, he lost. That's not a big surprise. And this then forces a conversation among some folks because, because Sanford had been very popular, had been very popular to, uh, folks in his own state, but he lost. And some are pointing to a tweet from President Trump that came late in the game to be sure, but, but it definitely wasn't, it definitely wasn't helpful. He wrote, <laughs> uh, the president's amazing. Mark Sanford has been very unhelpful to me in my campaign to MAGA. He is MIA and nothing but trouble. He is better off in Argentina. I fully endorse Katie Arrington for Congress in South Carolina, a state I love. She is tough on crime and will continue our fight to lower taxes. Vote Katie. <laughs> First of all, to MAGA is now a verb, which I like. Yeah. Buck, what are you going to do this weekend? I'm just hoping to, you know, chill out, maybe MAGA a little bit. It's a fun thing to say. It's a fun thing to do. But also, just the backhanded, he is better off in Argentina. Ooh. That is not going to help very much. It did not help very much. And so this then, this then turns into a, another discussion in advance of the uh, midterm elections coming up here, which remember, folks, if the Democrats win the House, they will impeach Trump. If they win, they will impeach. I can almost assure you of that. Okay, that's what's going to. So so the stakes are very real. People start to wonder, though. Do you have to be 
on Trump's good side in order to have a shot as a Republican these days. You got others out there like Bob Corker who are saying that there is a a cult around Trump. Play 16, please. We're in a strange place. I mean, it's almost, uh, uh, you know, been a, it's becoming a cultish thing, isn't it? Um, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not a good place for any party to, to end up with a cult-like situation as it relates to uh, to, to a president that uh, happens to be of purportedly of the, of the same parties. I ask you this. When Obama had a full-blown cult around him, and remember, he was, he was giving speeches overseas in front of Greek columns. And I mean, the whole thing was just way overblown, right? But when, when Obama was being treated as really a demigod, as, as a semi-deity, do you remember a single national elected, national-level elected Democrat saying that the Trump, I'm sorry, the Obama cult is a problem? Not one. And I really mean, I, I do not remember a single time that one of them came forward to say that. This is where we have something to learn from the Democrats. This is where the way they do things is better than the way we do things. If you're just looking at putting wins up on the scoreboard, my friends, they just stick together. They don't sit around debating principle over party and all this other stuff. They're like, who's... Our guy's running things. We're going to work with our guy and protect our guy to get things done for our side. That's their approach. Now, you can have discussions and debates within the family, right? But you, you don't publicly trash the head of your party in that way if you're going to be serious about leveraging the fact that your party isn't your party has the White House. I don't know what Corker is really thinking other than Corker's first concern seems to be Corker. And this is a, you know, an instance that we can just see that they say there's a cult of personality around Trump. I just say to them, well, why not just focus on what Trump has done? And make that, you know, if you, if you don't like Trump's personal behaviors, if you got problems with the, with the way he talks or the way he tweets, fine. But I don't see how, as a conservative, you can't look at what has happened over the last roughly 18 months and feel like this has been a good presidency for conservatism. You look at where the victories have been for conservatism. It's not coming from the legislative branch, my friends. I talked to Ted Cruz about it yesterday. You know, Ted's great, but he's, you know, well, we're going to do things and we're going to do more things. I'm like, Ted, buddy, it's disappointing when you look at what's going on with the legislator, the legislature. You really do need 60 votes now, because otherwise all you need is one or two rogue Republicans and it's all over. And even if you don't have that problem, you have the problem of the filibuster. Which I think is something that. Now it's really going to be too late because they're going to say, oh, well, if you got rid of it, it's the midterms coming up. That's a bad idea. But my response to that would have been or earlier on, I would have said, get rid of the roadblocks, get rid of this nonsense. And we really don't need to sit around and let parliamentary procedure, or in this case, Senate rules, get in the way of 
the agenda that was laid out for the American people and that we put Trump into office to enact, right? It wasn't just for the, the tweets. It wasn't just for slapping down the fake news. It was also to achieve identifiable objectives. If that's going to happen, there needs to be some Republican unity. What is so, and I really ask this from the perspective of anyone who's formerly never Trump or maybe still kind of the never Trump category and, and has a lot of misgivings about this president, what has he done that deeply offends a conservative sense of policy priorities? Put aside the personal stuff. I've always believed, by the way, a lot of that is overplayed and overrated. You know, I mean, I'm sure Jimmy Carter was a was a real nice guy, not a good president. You know, you know Barack Obama. Uh, Barack Obama had a had a you know a lovely family and seemed to be a doting father and everything else, but. I think he's wrong on all the policy, right? So where is the the huge objection? And what is it about Trump that gets, I'm talking about Republicans now, that gets them so upset? I don't see where he has sold them out. Do I think that he could have forced a fight over the uh, budget and try to get funding for the wall? Yes, absolutely. Do I think that there have been some misses? Sure, but he was ready to sign an Obamacare appeal. The Congress wouldn't do it. And Congress pushed a tax cut through. But keep in mind, folks, tax cuts are, in our political world, they are only temporary. I mean, they're a good thing, but they're a short-term thing unless you can maintain power. And you need longer-term structural legislative achievement. Democrats know that. That's why they rammed through Obamacare. It was Obamacare or bust because the long-term prospects of the democrat party were improved by having obamacare as crappy a law and a bill as it is and they're exempting themselves from it you know we know all that right but they understood that part of it they understood that you have to pass things that will stay as a part of our day-to-day lives long after uh the initial bill goes through and long after the first few months of, of implementation so uh, I think that this notion there's a, a cult around Trump. Yeah, look, everybody, every president has people who maybe are, are too much in the believer camp. Trump, though, I just feel like this is a necessary corrective to the cult of Obamaism that we all had to suffer through for eight years. I mean, you have journalists out there who still think that they weren't engaged in a constant slobbering over the amazingness of the Obama presidency who still think that they, they were tough on Obama. They covered Obama fairly. They're out of their minds. I've never seen anything like it. You know, a, a tough question from the press for Obama for eight years was, uh, excuse me, um, maybe, maybe when you said, you know, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. Maybe that wasn't, like, totally true, you know? And Obama would say, okay, you're banished. You're no longer cool. We're no longer friends. And uh, you can leave. You know, he didn't care. That was it. There was n- there was no real pushback against the Obama administration of, of any m- meaning or consequence, right? There was never a moment in time when the Democrats broke ranks from Obama on anything in a, any meaningful way that I can remember. Not one. Not one. 
they were oh yeah we they criticized him like for a day in an editorial where they'd say this you know how Democrats get criticized by other Democrats? First of all, it's always the administration. It's never the actual president. That's one way they play the game. Another way is they'll say, you know, this raises troubling questions. With Trump, it's he's a fascist. He's a Nazi. He's going to destroy the country. I mean, that, that's how they cover Trump. But when there's something that's just too much, you know, Obama's executive orders, for example, they'd say, well, this raises troubling questions about the separation of powers. With Trump, the executive orders is, oh, it's a big step towards authoritarianism and autocracy. This is what I mean. And then when you say, hey, you guys are being unfair, they go, no, no, we covered them both. We covered both presidents. Look at the stories. Okay, but how did you cover them? What did you say? How long did you cover it? What were the takeaways for people watching or reading your coverage? Was it raising troubling questions or was it the end of the republic as we know it? Right? These are the these are the games they play. This is the way this all goes. So there's that. Uh, I, look, I think Sanford. You know, he was critical of Trump. He has some libertarian tendencies. Purdy's kind of an unusual guy. I don't know. I've never got a chance to interview him. Uh, but he is uh, a cautionary tale for other Republicans out there who think that they're going to gain brownie points, whether it's with the media or. However, uh, by running from Trump, and that's also we're going to talk more about immigration in a few minutes. I know there are Republicans who want to get on the record about how pro DACA they are, and that's why you're going to go through this this exercise next week. If they, I don't think it's actually going to happen now, but we'll we'll get into the details. We got Mark Corian joining to talk to us about it, but you know they they just don't. Republicans refuse to just get on board and make it happen. We can all look at the results and make decisions for ourselves, whether it was a good idea or not, whether this worked or not. We can all do that. But in the meantime, let's at least get to square one here. Let's let's push through these policies and, and make the priorities of the president the priorities of the Republican Party because so far the best results that we've seen have been brought to us not by the mainstays, not by the long-term, multiple-term members of Congress, and, uh, you know, that, that's not who's getting it done. Trump has been the one who's getting it done. And just remember, if it wasn't him, you would have her. It's true. You would have had a very different presidency to deal with. And that would have made us all quite sad. Uh, I, I am seeing all the stuff about Cohen. I don't, have, I don't have too much in the way of detailed thoughts on this, but... Why don't we discuss? Why don't we discuss a little bit where I think this is going? By the way, still my I think my favorite CNN moment still of the whole of the whole election was polls. Who's polls? Remember that with Cohen? It's he's the main story on the Drudge Report right now. Let's let's dig into this a little bit and see what we can make of it. We'll, we'll be right back. You have a choice. Every time you put a T-shirt on, you put a sweatshirt on, throw on some uh, some sweatpants, cargo pants, whatever you got. Do you want to be supporting a great American company founded by veterans that's run by people from the special operations community and that spends a lot of their time and energy and money giving back to the veteran community and making sure that they do everything they can to protect the ideals of the military in civilian life? Nine Line Apparel is for you, my friends. It's a veteran-owned and operated patriotic lifestyle brand got 150 employees lots of them are veterans and veteran spouses 
They take bold stances on important topical issues, and it's reflected in the designs. Check them out for yourself. Go to NineLineApparel.com. Use the coupon code BUCK20 to save 20% off your next order. That's NineLineApparel.com, and you get a great deal here. Type in BUCK20 at checkout for 20% off. You say it's not a shakeup, but you guys are down. And it makes Says sense who? that there would Says polls. Says who? Most of them. All of them? Says who? Polls. <laughs> I just told you. I answered your question. Okay. Which polls? All of them. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I still love that. That's That was Michael Cohen during the, uh, during the election. Says who? Says who? I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to go on CNN in the past. Be like, says who? Says you? What? Poll? Potato? Potato? You got a poll for me? What? But I never really got the opportunity. None- nonetheless, makes me sad. Ah, uh, Cohen. So here's what they're saying about it. By the way, I-, I-, I, this is a true. I need to not say this is a true story, Mike. You got to remind me because then it sounds like my other stories are. Say, so, hey, okay, this one's actually true. But I, I, got-, I got a story for you. Um. I, I, t- I tweeted out as a joke that uh, you know the North Korea summit went really well because it's just a matter of hours before Mueller is going to arrest someone. And that, I, you know, I, I just, that was just like a, a gut reaction to what would have gone on because, you know, that seems to be. And then all these reports are coming up about Cohen and he's going you know, to. And today, uh, you've got a, a piece here by George Stephanopoulos who is uh, saying that it looks like Cohen's lawyers are leaving him in the lurch. Two points for alliteration. And he may be uh, flipped by Mueller to cooperate. Now, here's where you're going to see. I want to establish this beforehand because the media will report on this, but they're going to do it in a dishonest way. If, in fact, they seized Mueller's records because he was involved in a porn star hush money payoff. If they violated attorney-client privilege with that as the pretext, this is a police state sham run amok. I mean, just this component of the overall case, but if they did that, this is compl- this is an outrage. All right? Because that that is not a high enough bar to take a lawyer's records and go in and do it. Now, people say, oh, Buck, they separated out. Yeah, right, whatever. Point is, there's supposed to be a attorney-client privilege exists for a reason. So keep that in mind. They're saying that Cohen is going to flip. That doesn't really mean very much. And in fact, there's another source that, let me tell you why that is, but there's another source that's saying that Cohen's lawyers are leaving because of a fee dispute. Any of you have ever had to work with lawyers? Let me tell you. It's amazing. I don't think you can get a lawyer to sneeze on your face for less than less than five thousand dollars. You know, it, it just it's just very you work with a lawyer on anything is very expensive. It's just the way that it seems to be. So anyway, uh, if he does flip, here's the here's the part of this that the media is not going to tell you either or that they're not going to focus on right now. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. Because if he's got nothing to offer, he's got nothing to offer. It doesn't matter if he flips. 
This is the part of it they won't tell you. It may not matter at all, because if he doesn't have incriminating information about Trump, guess what? That's It is what it is. But they like to run with this story. They're going to keep going on this and going on this and going on this. I just wonder, do we ever get to have like a big mega panel where all of the journalists who ran with this Russia collusion stuff and put Stormy Daniels on TV and were just just creating this circus, a circus of lies and half-truths and misdirection, do we ever get to like actually have them answer for this or are they just going to move on? Oh, I think we know the... The the, uh, the greatest talk radio host of all time has already has already called them right the the drive by media they're gonna drive right on by this one even when the Mueller probe ends uh, team stay right there He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Well, Donald Trump, the real estate developer, and um, he doesn't realize that that this dictator doesn't want beach condos. Uh, he he wants nuclear weapons. Empty words, uh, potentially empty words, and lots of flags and lots of ceremony don't necessarily lead to the consequences that we hope for. The president, how the White House, how they're, they're throwing a parade for themselves without really producing any kind of tangible uh, document that shows us exactly how all of this is going to play out. Are we going ahead with just some hopeful, wishful thoughts? And I find that incredibly worrying, incredibly depressing. There's no no knowledge of history. It's staggering to every day to realize how unself-aware and uh, the, the lack of knowledge. ...of meeting with Kim Jong-un and signing a document that really doesn't uh, commit the North Koreans to doing much of anything. I mean, they don't at this point. Uh, they, they say they will allow, I suppose, inspectors to come in there at some point, but they haven't agreed to what that process is going to be like. Uh, and David was uh, comparing this to the Iran nuclear deal. The, the Iran nuclear deal, if you go through it, is very technical and very specific in terms of how that inspections process uh, takes place and so on. And, and none of that really seems to be in black and white at this point with uh, the North Korean deal with President Trump. Today's June 13th, 2018. I'm going to hold this paper up. And and just remember, here we are, uh, June the 13th, 2018. Uh, What Republicans did last night and what they are doing in subservience to Donald Trump is going to lead to a massive Democratic wave this fall. I'm sorry that I had to make you sit through that that, uh, tsunami of stupid. But I really wanted you to hear it. I wanted you to hear it because a number of those individuals hold themselves up as nonpartisan objective journalists. I wanted you to hear it because none of those people know a damn thing about foreign policy, international relations, how the world outside of our borders really works when it comes to high stakes negotiations, missiles, nuclear weapons, military strategy. It's really just a brigade of hairsprayed mannequins that yap 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 all say the same thing don't really know anything and yet 
They go on air. They share these unlettered and uneducated opinions. And we're supposed to just sit around and say, yeah, sure, you know. We have a we have a fair press. We have an objective media. There's nothing to see here. There's no problem. It's just garbage. It is just garbage. And I know I'm sick of it. I feel like you're sick of it, too. They're not willing to even, for a moment, given all of the times they've been wrong up to this point about the president, give the other side of it. It's one thing if you want to say, I don't think this deal is a good deal. Okay, fine. You know, everyone's entitled to their opinion, although if you're going to objective journalist, you're really not supposed to be entitled to your opinion in your reporting. But this is where, this is the big disconnect. You know, this is where the left and the right have, a, have an, a disagreement that's not going to be settled anytime soon. They really think that Democrat left equals fact. They really think that Democrat left equals truth. They don't think it's an opinion, a worldview, and they certainly don't think that it's a delusion, which is what it is. They certainly don't think that there is a disconnect from reality in thinking that these people who are speaking about the North Korea negotiations know more than, say, the president, Secretary of State Pompeo. I mean, like I was saying, the pundits, you know, Scarborough's a pundit, fine, I get it. But some of the other voices you heard there were correspondents and reporters And they are very obviously, to me, running Democrat propaganda. And it's annoying. It's annoying. Because the American people deserve better than the constant lie. The lie of putting these people on TV and in print night after night, day after day, suggesting they don't have an agenda. That is a lie. There are liars at MSNBC, liars at CNN, liars all over the place. And their favorite thing to do is to call the president a liar. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that quite ironic? (sighs) You know, Trump, he's confident about this still. Play clip seven, please. I just think that we are now going to start the process of denuclearization of North Korea. And I believe that he's going back and will start it virtually immediately. And he's already indicated that. And you look at what he's done. So we got our hostages back, but they've blown up one of their sites, one of their testing sites, their primary testing site. In fact, some people say their only testing site. They're getting rid of a missile, which isn't in the document that was done afterwards. They're getting rid of a missile testing site. They're doing so much now. So it's a process, and it's it's really moving rapidly. So, you know, I... I I think that the president deserves at least the the benefit of of seeing how this goes before everyone just under the pretense of objectivity just trashes the whole thing. You know, they they really show themselves to be not just rooting against America, but but just so dishonest, and it's tiring. I am tired of it. I think you're tired of it too. But we will hold them. We will hold them to account. That is one of the things we will do here, day after day, and. Uh, They're going to get the message one way or another. That I can tell you. We'll be right back. People say everything is political these days, and and we know that's the case, right? We know it it is, in fact, true that it is hard. It is very hard to escape 
politics, in sports, in culture, pop culture, music. You know, you, you, you just, people now, I think more than ever, maybe it's because we're all online, we've all got this social media stuff going on, but people are so into not just espousing their opinions, but separating themselves and and trying to create a perception of themselves as somehow different from or better than others based on their political views, right? And education is obviously no, no different. People in the education system realize that the left has seized, uh, seized control of so much of what is being taught, not just at the, at the undergraduate level, but on college campuses too, but here's a place where you can really see how social justice warriors and the rhetoric of the social justice left just runs into reality and, and they don't care. And there's tons of ways that this happens. But uh, and this is a piece up on the hill.com where I currently work, by the way. Teachers fight to keep pre-colonial history in AP course curriculum. Ah. <sighs> So here's what's going on, folks. I think you know where all this is going. High school history teachers don't want the AP curriculum to change its world history course because the change would eliminate pre-colonial civilizations and present a Eurocentric view of the world. So they'll start teaching history. This is for you know advanced placement, which I, I took that in high school. I'm sure lots of you listening took AP courses. Uh, they will start teaching from the year 1450. So that means all of the pre-colonial Americas, for example, are left out. Now, you get into a whole a whole bunch of sticky stuff here when you talk about this. Because, for example, if I were to try and teach a course on the history of, the, uh, of, of, of America... Right, what we call it today, didn't really have a a name or a map with names on it in the 1300s. Right, that's not something that was really getting done. But how do you teach a history course on on people who on a people who don't have a written language? What is your source material other than the archaeological? What are you really going to be able to to learn about? what it was what was going on in the american southwest let's say in the 1200s uh i'm guessing not a whole lot you also run into the and you know this, you see this with, with the left view of of the world in general today right all cultures are kind of the same and equally valid and valuable all countries give or take are all the same in terms of their worth and merit and, and their value and and their validity, uh, but although at least now the left all agrees that North Korea is bad because they're saying, oh, North Korea is the worst ever as a means of attacking Trump. Meanwhile, when Obama was buddy-buddy with Iran and Cuba, you know, look, it, it, anyway, I don't want to get distracted by that right now. But what do you do in an AP history, world history class when it comes time to talk about what was going on in America when there was really no real written canon of what was going on. And also, how did you just glance over the fact that you know, the, the Native American populations 
in this country uh, did not have the same level of technological progress that entering the the, the period of exploration, the colonial period that followed it, uh, that the European powers, as well as uh, Mid-Eastern and, and Asian powers, had. N- Native American peoples did not did not, when the European settlers uh, showed up, or European explorers, didn't have the wheel. Didn't have overwhelming, and now I'm talking Native people, you know, Incas and Aztecs, and you go North America, South America, is a huge landmass, but they didn't have writing. They they had pretty basic tools. I mean, they were a technologically speaking a hunter gatherer society. Now, you know, th- this is not a commentary, and nor should it ever be taken as when we're trying to look at different societies through history. It's not a commentary on the worth of any you know one individual versus another based upon the culture, right? Because a, a lot of the, the the benefit, the advantage, the, I mean, the reason that the Mediterranean basin has been the single source of the, the greatest you know, techno, uh, technology and, and art and literature for a long time uh, is because people share with each other, trade, and they steal from each other. They take technological advances, right? And, and then with the Mongol invasions, we got a lot from Asia. And then the, you know, the, the age of exploration was a good thing, but if you were in an isolated part of the world, you, you didn't have those benefits. And I just... We all know that no one really wants to talk about it that way because it makes them feel, mm, I, I don't know about this. So let's pretend, or, or rather the, the tendency among teachers is going to be, let's pretend that when the uh, explorers, whether Spanish explorers, you know, Cortez or uh, Pizarro and uh, Columbus uh, and all, you know, all, the, all the different iterations of this, right? And Vasco da Gama, and by the way, this is, Part of history. I actually thought I've thought about doing a whole history series. I know I haven't finished my current history series, but just on those uh, those different that 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 period and those different explorations and, and missions around the world. Um, Magellan, obviously, there's all these great stories, but the populations they were coming into contact with were not as technologically advanced, and also have a whole lot less history to work with now from the perspective of a historian. It's just a fact. And this makes people this makes people very uncomfortable, and so they don't want to lose the study of the native peoples in this AP class. But there's also limited bandwidth, right? Students have to focus on where stuff is happening. History is a narrative; it is a story. That's absolutely true, and people are constantly making choices, and you're always leaving things on the cutting room floor. But you know, Florence, circa thirteen hundred was a more dynamic place and a place that was moving history more, moving uh, you know human progress along more than whatever was going on in what we now call you know Colorado in 1300. It, this is just a fact. It's just a fact. And so you have to make choices about what you're going to study and what you're not going to study and it shouldn't be based upon political Politically correct sensibilities, which is what we're running into now. Uh, you know, they're, they're saying that the, uh, this is the, the quote from this piece. Under the changes, the AP course will start teaching from the year 1450. Uh, the college board, the organization responsible for AP courses, said it made the change because the current history course was too broad. 
The group noted that most colleges teach the same subject over two separate courses, but teachers have widely objected to the change, and there has even been a a heated video, uh, a heated exchange that's on video between a history teacher and the senior vice president of the AP board, which has been shared online. So you know what I've I've just realized I actually want to we should we should track down that video now that I'm seeing this. Uh, I didn't realize there was actual video of it. I just saw some some pull quotes from the uh, from the transcript before. Um, there you, there you have it. You know this is <laughs> this is all about social justice. What what courses matter in world history, or what parts of the world matter in world history? Well, let's. Let's break this down by race and ethnicity and all the different sensitivities we see now. Meanwhile, our constructions of history today are so, and our concepts of, you know, everything that's going on, you can't take a current sensibility and apply it to what was going on in the world in the 1400s or the 1300s. You know, this is... You just have to look at what you have and the material, the source material and the stories and what was coming along. But, you know, it's just it's it's troubling. Um, it would be, you know, because they view this as like you got to balance this out. You've got to have equal time given. It's really an equal time question. You know, you can't just do the history of the modern world starting in 1450 and the the colonial world and then the industrial world. It's got to be equal time for, you know. What is the the continent of South America circa 1100 and Europe circa 1100? You know, you know they don't do it for Antarctica though, right? Not a lot of people there, so you got to make these choices. And it's not about making people. Who is really upset because they're, you know, I mean Ireland in like the you know uh, in the year 800 or so, not a lot going on there either, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't take this personally. It's but every, everything's political, my friends. Everything falls to uh, sensibilities, and you know that's true of our education system, too. So there you have it. AP course, world history. Kids might not be learning about Incas quite as much. Oh, no. We'll be right back. The FBI says home title theft is one of the fastest-growing crimes out there, but brace yourself because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. And, you know, everything is online these days, folks. And that means that if somebody has Internet access anywhere in the world, if they are a savvy cyber criminal, they can get at your precious data. And there is nothing that's more precious financially than your home. You know that. This is not a hard thing for the bad guys to do. That's why you need Home Title Lock. It forms a virtual perimeter around your home's title so the bad guys can't take out loans in your name once they get your info. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most valuable asset, my home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I see that the uh, Congress is still talking about immigration. Next week, they're talking about having a vote 
Uh, that's not going to be a vote that changes anything or passes any legislation, but it's a thing that they say they want to do, so I guess they're still at least thinking about it. But we also have a lot going on at our southern border, some reporting about how not only are families being separated, or at least that's the story, but now we're told that the big, bad, mean Trump administration is no longer giving asylum to people because they are victims of either domestic abuse or gang violence. Well, what is going on with all this? We got Mark Krikorian with us now. He's the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. Mark, great to have you back. Glad to be here. Let's start with this asylum change. I am I like to think that I'm a, a reasonable person and I try to be compassionate and a nice, a nice dude. Uh, but if gang violence, essentially criminality, is grounds for asylum, I don't understand how escaping a, cl- a corrupt, crappy country isn't just grounds for asylum, right? I mean, it, it seems to me like anything can be asylum. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what it amounts to. Uh, the way the asylum law works, and it's based on the U.N. treaty that we signed back in the late 60s, is that you get asylum or refugee status if you're persecuted or fear persecution based on one of five criteria, race, religion, nationality, political opinion, those are all pretty clear, cut and dry, not a lot of controversy. The fifth category is this loophole catch-all thing called membership in a particular social group. And nobody really knows what it means. Uh, Even when they wrote the treaty in the 50s, nobody really said what it meant. And what activist judges and the ACLU and their ilk have done is use it to basically cover anybody who doesn't like where they live. Um, And, you know, this is where uh, people who say, well, you know, the gangs target me. Uh, Therefore, what? What social group is that? Uh, People in El Salvador targeted by gangs. Is that a social group? Does that even mean anything? The answer is no. But the activists have been trying to bootstrap this, um, you know, this grounds for asylum out of nothing. And all the attorney general did this week was say, no, here's what we mean by particular social group. You have to belong to a group that is identifiable and someone attacks you or persecutes you because of your membership in the group, rather than just saying, you know, you're from Guatemala, your husband beat you up. That's terrible. He's scum. But asylum isn't to fix the world's problems. You're not part of the social group of Guatemalan women who were beaten up by their husbands. That's literally what they're, the activists are saying. They're playing word games, and they've been called on it, and they don't like it. Now, isn't it also worth pointing out here, Mark, that there are people who are fleeing countries that are in the midst of civil war. There are people that are fleeing countries where if they go home they, because they're a political dissident, they are likely to be tortured and killed, maybe their families along with them. The, the more uh, traditional uh, asylum seekers... They have to go through a process, and not all of them even get approved. Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, it's uh, not that many people get asylum. The thing is that what what the pro-illegal immigration people, and I think that's a fair description here, what they do is they're using asylum as a way of getting the foot in the door, getting into the United States, because we don't detain everybody that we... Um, have an asylum application for. So if we let them out, and after six months of waiting, they get a work permit, 
then, you know, they're in the wind. Some of them will come back for their asylum hearings. There's no question about it. Usually the ones who are pretty sure they're going to win, um, you know, because they actually, say, published an opposition newspaper somewhere. You know, a clear-cut cases of persecution. But most of them, you know, will just, most of the ones who know that they're not going to win are just gone. They have their work permit. They disappear into the illegal population. So they use the asylum process as a way of getting into the United States without having to pay a smuggler. And so this is just, a, it's another way of saying, okay, if you can get past that first tier of, of border protection, if, if you get into the U.S. interior and you don't find yourself in contact with law enforcement for some other reason, and Mark, what are the chances that you're actually going to get uh, picked up and deported? If, if you, once you get into the country, and if, assuming you don't do anything else to get on law enforcement's radar, I'm assuming the odds are pretty good as an illegal you get to stay. Yeah, basically. I mean, nobody's looking for you. Even under this administration, you know, they're not trolling the streets looking for people. You know, I mean, if you get stopped for drunk driving or something, sure. But if you come in, you know, sneak in illegally or you overstay a visa and they, and they catch you and, they, and you say, no, no, I'm applying for asylum, um, they say, fine, let you go, you know, come back in two years for a hearing, nobody's looking for you. And when you don't show up in two years, the judge will order you deported. Turn you turn you know reject your asylum application, but it's not like the judge gives that order to ICE and then ICE goes and tracks you down. You're basically you know you're uh, uh, on the loose, and you know there are almost a million people in the United States who have orders of deportation. They call it a final order of removal. A lot of them because they applied for asylum and then just blew off the hearing. One million people almost who are in the country with an order of deportation who just ignored it. Uh, and, in fact, there was that local, the recent case of that pizza delivery guy in New York. I don't know if you saw that, but there was a, it was in the news. He uh, was delivering a pizza to an Army base in Brooklyn or something, and they checked his ID, and it turns out there was a warrant out for him, so they handed him over to ICE. The guy had been ordered deported eight years ago and had gotten away with it because... Nobody, he hadn't encountered the cops or ICE or anything, and only through bad luck did somehow they find him, or his bad luck. And there are literally hundreds of thousands of people like that who use the asylum system as a, basically a way to scam the United States. And, um, you know, we don't know where they are. And what the you... point of what the uh, Attorney General is doing is a, a number of things, uh, but the point of it is to try to rein in and control the way we do asylum. You know, Mark, you're, you're an immigration expert. You study this stuff all the time. You know about the policies that are going back and forth on Capitol Hill when they actually are being debated on Capitol Hill. What is the real goal of, of the Democrats and, and aligned, uh, you know, they call them pro-immigrant groups. They usually mean pro-illegal immigrants. Uh, where do they draw the line? When it comes to who gets to stay and who does, I mean, this is a, just, I know this is a more general philosophical question, but I keep thinking it's really seems to me only to be at if you are a, a violent felon, maybe you shouldn't be able to stay in the country. But pretty much everybody else seems like they're supposed to be able to stay if they can get here. That's kind of what it amounts to. Uh, and Hillary Clinton uh, and Bernie Sanders made that official when they ran for president during one of the um, debates. One of the under uh, undercovered or, or least yes. covered parts, by the way, of the Democrat platform switch was that. And also that they wanted to give illegals Obamacare access. 
Yep, yep. And, um, you know, Hillary was asked specifically, you know, should illegal immigrants deported? She said no one should be deported, no one ever, unless they are convicted of a violent felony. Not charged, not a nonviolent felony like check, you know, fraud or something like that, but convicted of a violent felony. Every other illegal immigrant who sneaks in or overstays a visa should be allowed to stay for the rest of his life. So it's, it's, it's essentially open borders if you can get past the border, right? I mean, that's, exactly. that's really what the policy then becomes. If you can that, get here, you get to stay. That okay. is exactly I mean, what it is. I just want to ask you, uh, before that you go, Mark, the, there's this back and forth with the, within the Republican uh, Congress, or Republican side of the Congress. Uh, th- what, what is this? Does this matter? It looks to me like some guys just want to get on the record about how much they love uh, so-called dreamers, right? People covered by DACA in time for their election. I mean, is there anything else going on with this? No, that does seem to be the the reason we're doing all of this thing. A bunch of Republicans who are in heavily Hispanic districts where, you know, they're in they they think they're in tight races are figuring they can save their skin by getting the house to pass an amnesty for uh for the DACA and Dreamer people, illegal immigrants who came before they turned 16 or even 18. That's one of the latest versions. So thousands more included um, their initial effort to force a vote they basically ganged up the liberal republicans ganged up with all the democrats to try to force a vote and there's a procedure to do that in the house you have to have a certain number of signatures they fell short of that so what the what they're doing the leadership is doing is they're putting on the floor next week two bills one is a pretty strong bill uh, by the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Bob Goodlatte. It's, it's a compromise itself, but it's a pretty good bill. I would vote for it without hesitation. The other bill is a, a weaker version of that, that they're trying to rope in some of the squishier Republicans. They're going to put them both on the floor. I think they're both going to fail. And then, like we saw with the Senate a few months back, they're going to say, okay, well, you know, we tried uh, next issue, you know, and then move on to the farm bill or whatever the next thing is. Mark Krikorian is executive director at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org, for their latest. Mark, always great to have you, man. Great. Thanks a lot. Team, stay with me. Be right back. We have seen some unusual political ads in the last... uh, couple of years right there are some ads that you got to stop and say to yourself <laughs> who, who approved this or or even better who thought this was a good idea like who came up with this idea uh you had that guy i, I don't remember and and if we, if we had the audio somewhere i'd play it the guy who was saying mitch mcconnell he's like mitch mcconnell's paid for by china people and i'm like china people that's not even a slur it's just like the guy doesn't know to call them Chinese. I, I, it's just bizarre. It was such a weird. I've never heard somebody refer to people as China people before. Um, I, that was some. I think he was in West Virginia. That candidate. And then there was the ad that really. Uh, gosh, there's so, when you start to think about all the over the line political ads. There was that one with people in a in a pickup truck with uh, that that were trying to mow down like young immigrant children, if I remember correctly. So you know, there's. There's been some really out, really out there ads, but but this, in its own way, may be 
the craziest political ad I've I've ever seen. This this may actually take the cake. This may be numero uno. Uh, a Democratic congressional candidate out in Colorado decided, and his name is Levi Tillman, or Tillman, I don't know. He decided to, he was talking about empowering schools and teachers with non-lethal self-defense tools like this can of pepper spray. So this is a school safety pitch that he's making. And it is, hmm, it is uh, one of these things where he just decided to go all in and not just talk about giving teachers pepper spray, but in fact, to pepper spray himself on video in the face at point-blank range a lot. Play it. I'm Levi Tillman. I'm calling on Congress to stop talking past each other and try something new. Empower schools and teachers with non-lethal self-defense tools like this can of pepper spray. Pepper spray doesn't cost much and it can be safely stored in a break glass in case of emergency cabinet. <laughs> this guy's doing a PSA for pepper spray. And won't accidentally kill a kid. Trust me, this will stop anyone. He sprays himself. And now I just can't see anything. Wow. <laughs> That's intense. It's just unbearable. It's like lava in your eyes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Mike, I gotta tell you, man. The first time I saw that, I I couldn't I couldn't stop laughing because I'm like, yeah, dude, it's painful. You're not supposed to spray yourself in the face. With yeah, the, I mean, the, I, I I just gotta say, it, the guy is an idiot. I mean, he just <laughs> I, 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 the, the only word that pops to mind in the video is if you can have a chance to say it is hilarious. He is a former Obama administration Department of Energy official, by the way. Oh my gosh, Enough that was amazing. Day. But, you know, I, I actually was exposed in training a long time ago uh, to pepper spray, but not direct contact. So it was in a essentially they they brought it. It was uh, trying to explain how they did it. We went into like a tiny little almost like a porta potty that was full of pepper spray. And you sort of stood in there for 30 seconds or something. And then you came out. And yeah, it's not fun. It's not a good thing. It's not a good feeling. Uh, it kind of—it actually reminded me of once. I'm a—I'm somebody who really enjoys uh, international cuisine, as you all know. And I got—I I love Indian food, uh, one of my favorites. And I remember getting some really hot lamb vindaloo, which is a spicy lamb dish, very delicious. But I opened a container of it and got it just somehow, and it's just got it to spray directly into my eyeball, like it—it it just a, a big, you know not piece of it, but the juice just sprayed right out of the vindaloo and hit me right in the eye. And it was excruciating. I remember washing my eye out with milk because that's actually the best thing for you to do. Um, it kind of felt, it feels like that, but in both eyes, all of your face. And in this video, this guy is actually, uh, you can tell is there's swelling and his whole, his defense mechanisms have kicked in and, and everything else. So, he sticks his face into a bucket of soapy water. <laughs> it's, but you know, there's a part of me that thinks, is, is this going to work for him? Like, just because who knew who Levi Tilleman was before, 
And now here I am. Here's a national radio show. We've got uh, folks in, in, in all 50 states listening. And, you know, we're talking about this guy. But the notion that it would save lives, too. I just want to, because a lot of you are probably like, Buck, that's not only is his whole plan stupid. If you're in an active shooter situation, uh, pepper spray is going to do you no good, okay? Because to be able to shoot the pepper spray at somebody, you got to be, I mean, it's not bear spray. It's not going to go 20 feet. And even bear spray, okay, you you draw, they draw, they pull the trigger, you're done. Right. Anyway, it's it, the whole thing is is just is just nuts. It really is. It, it's quite a quite an ad. And uh, this guy is, is he's going on the list of people who are, mm, you know, the uh, of the all time wackiest political ads that I can remember. I think I think he goes on that list. Uh, I, I remember being at the Occupy Wall Street protests and and being very close to uh situ- you know they they started tackling different protesters and I was like oh gosh are the police going to start uh using uh pepper spray because they they would pull it out and they would spray a whole cloud of it and, and even if you don't get direct spray if it gets in your in your eyes and your nose it it irritates you uh but fortunately that that did not occur so yeah important safety tip everybody don't pepper spray yourself in the face on video don't don't do that thing. That's a bad thing to do. And uh, with with that, my friends, I want to tell you about uh, my my first day thoughts from the show uh, that we launched today here in D.C. I'm now officially part of the Hill.com family. I'm a columnist for the Hill.com. I also host a TV show for the Hill.TV. We had our launch day today. It was uh, I think it went well. A lot of folks talking about uh, what we did here so i'll tell you my first my very honest unvarnished first day thoughts he's holding the line for america buck sexton is back Today was launch day, team, for uh, this this project that I've been talking about for weeks here in D.C. It really has been a project, I and mean, we've had hammers and nails. I've been I've been moving furniture and plugging in wires, and I mean it was it was an all hands on deck situation to, to actually hit our on air date today. I have to say, so uh, we we got it going though. Just a, a quick note, because some of you have been uh, emailing me throughout the day and everything. You know, there's it's it's a different vibe. It's a morning show. We do some cooking stuff. It's it's lighter. So if you're really into, I was gonna say, if you're really into like straight up Buck and and Freedom Hut stuff, you know, it's gonna be a little different than that. Um, so just you know, give it give it a shot. Check it out. See what you think. But I have to be polite to our to our uh, Democrat one, my my wonderful co-host who who is a a pretty progressive democrat uh, but any of the people we invite on we, we have a mandate that we're gonna we're gonna debate the issues we're gonna have some fun we're gonna get into we're gonna mix it up but we're not gonna try to make anyone feel ambushed or feel badly or feel you know we're just not doing that and that's really a mission statement for the show and that's from the top down and and i've i've agreed to that so 
you know, it's not going to be like the old days at CNN where some clown would come on and you'd see Buck get a little feisty. Uh, at least I don't think. I mean, things might change a little bit, but some of you are like, "Buck, you got to lay down the law." I'm like, guys, I can't, I can't lay down the law. It's not, it's not that kind of show. <laughs> it's a different kind of show. It's like a, hey, like let's talk about this. Oh wow, like you see this bit of news that just came in. It's crazy. It's crazy stuff. Uh, so it's gonna be a little bit like that. I'm gonna try to have a lot of fun with it, and you know, it's you know, even even little things like figuring out wardrobe. Uh, this is what I. I don't miss this part of TV because doing hits, you know, showing up and doing a a three-minute or a five-minute or whatever hit on television is not something that, you know, that, that I've just gotten into a rhythm with. It's a little different when, you, when you're going to be on air the whole time and you got to stand up and walk around. I wish, man, I could just show up and, like, wear a sweatshirt. I really do. I know that doesn't look good and everyone's like, boo, but, you know, it was really funny. If you see the, the segment we had... Uh, Ted Cruz, I interviewed Ted Cruz, uh, Senator Cruz, and and he, oh, he's a brilliant guy, obviously. He's also a lot funnier than I think most people realize. And he makes a comment about how the, the Hill has to pay me more so that I can afford a tie after we finish the interview. And it was very, it was very, we, the whole room laughed. It was very funny. But what, what you didn't know from that segment was that for the last week, I've been like, guys, can I, can I put on a tie? They're like, no, no, you know, this is, we don't want a tie. We want you to be casual and everything else you know and i was like oh okay well i'll just i don't know something i feel like i'm you know traveling door to door selling cookbooks or something when i just have a blazer on but no and a shirt but no tie it's just not really my thing feels unfinished you see this is what happens when you go to catholic school for 10 years or actually gosh more than that i guess 10 years and then four so 14 years Although it wasn't Jack and a tie in high school. Uh, anyway, so we're working out all these different things, and we're going to be adjusting music and intro. And as you saw, we've got great, Candace Owens is going to be a uh, regular guest on the show, or Candace Owen. Um, uh, Charlie Kirk was on today. So we've got a, a lot of young guns are going to be joining us. So right now it's going to be kind of big-name guests that are, we call them newsmakers, right, attorney general, Yes, we are supposed to have the president on very soon. Things like that. Uh, interviews like that. Uh, but we're also going to have young up-and-comers, and, and that's one of the other mandates of the show. So for some of you who like, uh, you know, for example, I mean, Charlie Kirk is lighting it up on, on social media all the time. You'll see him, and, and there'll be a whole bunch of folks, as well as progressives. There's going to be progressives on the show, too. It's, <laughs> we're going to try to keep it as one big, happy family. Uh, so that's that's the the mandate. But I appreciate all of you tuning in today. It really and by the way, if my voice is cracking and all today, apologies. I've, I I have I have actually been up since five o'clock in the morning, uh, and working straight through the day. A lot of caffeine, a lot of black rifle. Uh, that keeps me going. But anyway, that's 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 sort of my first uh, first day thoughts for the show. It's it's quite a thing to get going, but I think we'll it'll it'll really come together and. In the meantime, all the support from all of you means a lot. It really does, because I want this to be good, and I'm putting a lot into it, and uh, we'll see how it all goes. And with that, we will transition into really my favorite part of the whole show, which is Roll Call. Stay right there.
Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Team, thank you so much for joining. Always appreciate when I get to uh, hang out with you in the Roll Call. It's uh, an extra special part of the day. If you would like to be a part of all things Roll Call, just go to uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That's uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Let me know what you think. Please do. It would be uh, great to hear from you. All right. Um, Let's see what's going on here. Uh, Next up, we have, or first up, rather, uh, we have Mark, who writes, Shields High Buck, always killing it on air, but I have to say I was quite blown away with your new show, Rising. I can say I did not see that coming, but I feel we have the right guy for the job going up against the progressive Crystal. What an amazing accomplishment. I've been listening to you for four years now, and I've turned a lot of people into you, and I look forward to several more years to come. Mark P. in California. Uh, Well, Mark, thank you so much, buddy. I uh, very much appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, as I was saying, getting it going. By the way, Crystal is very, very nice. So Crystal is a friend. We just disagree on not everything, a lot of things. Uh, But she's been... She's been a great uh, colleague and, and partner in the show, so I am lucky in that respect. Matt writes, Buck, watch your premiere on uh, Hill.TV today and not disappointed. All right, I'll take that. Another great product from you and your team. Congrats. Keep up the good work and shields high. Uh, well, thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate that. And uh, it's look, it's it's a work in progress, my friends. This is now the second time... I've been at a startup digital TV network. You, you all recall that uh, I was at the Blaze before, when it started. Um, I was there when it was GB TV, and then it became the Blaze TV. Uh, but I was there from the very earliest days when it first launched. So there you have it. Uh, it, it definitely, you learn as you go. That I can tell you. Learn as you go. So there'll be some changes. There'll be all kinds of things that we do as we uh, move along here. Next up, Amanda. She writes, uh, I think it might be interesting to interview Americans that have emigrated to other countries or just to review other countries' laws to contrast how different the rest of the world is. While the bureaucracy here takes a while, in other countries you are barred from ever owning certain properties. Hmm. Hmm. Well, uh, Amanda, I would love to know. Uh, I would love to know what specifics we're working with here. But but thank you for the note, nonetheless. You also wrote. To, you mentioned. Oh no, yes, burkinis and redheads. That's right. Uh, we have TJ, who also a lot of notes here on uh, Hill TV. Uh, Buck, watch the rising on Hill TV this morning. Pretty good overall. When I was listening to you guys discuss the party of Trump, I think that your co-host and Jamal. Just don't understand that these conservatives that support Trump are not necessarily the Trump party. We're just tired of being the disagreement party. It gets us nowhere. So when a person comes along that is an outspoken critic of Trump, and even if it's criticism that we agree with, it does us no good to give that person a platform. I mean, look at Rand Paul. He's done plenty policy-wise to undermine Trump, but he never comes out and straight up criticizes the president because he knows it's not helpful. 
Trump may not be a conservative through and through, but he is arguably the most effective tool for conservatism. The legislators that understand this concept are the ones that will be able to capitalize for conservatism. Uh, This should be a campaign slogan. Um, Okay, TJ. Uh, I'm glad you said pretty good overall. Look, it's going to be, uh, you know, as I've been saying, it's going to be a work in progress. Um, Aries with a note here. By the way, uh, you're funnier than your comedian friend, and I think you're funnier than Imus was and a few few so-called funny guys. You should practice a mature stand-up. I bet after a few years you could do a good job and it would help your career. Aries, I'd be honest with you, I would, I would love the idea of doing stand-up, actually. I, I, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Um, and it's one area I've never given a shot to. It's the only part of, uh, what, what I, I was going to say, verbal performance. That sounds super nerdy. It's the only part of, yeah, speaking for a little. Well, I've never acted either. But, I mean, come on. I could do that, right? Everyone, everyone can learn how to act. Um, but I've never done stand-up. And thank you for the, the kind words. I mean, I try to keep it fun and funny here in the, in the hut as much as I possibly can. Uh, so, yeah, there we go. Um, there we have it. Thank you very much. We, uh, Tim writes, bus. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Bus, yes. Sometimes a necessary conveyance for getting you places. Uh, Sandy, she writes something. I'm going to leave this one off the roll call because she's talking about my co-host, and I can only say we we only have nice things to say about my co-host here on the roll call. I mean, you guys can send me any messages you want, but I'm we only say nice things about the co-host here in the hut. Hannah, next up, I get this feeling Trump wanted Kim Jong Un uh, about what the media and Democrats might say. I find it unusual Kim hasn't reacted to some of the talking heads today because I'm sure he's glued to American media right now. Uh, I'm sure he is. I don't know how good his... I'd be curious. I don't know how good his English is, I have to say. I'm not really... uh, That's one part I'd be curious to get more visibility into. But anyway. Dr. Lee. Our friend Dr. Lee writes, Hey, Buck, congratulations. Just heard the good news about your new show. I can't wait to tune in. I've been waiting for you to have the opportunity to debate liberals unfettered by the constraints of liberal producers with a biased objective. Now that you're in D.C., you must have a Sunday brunch at Farmers, Fishers, Bakers on the Potomac. It's amazing. And the best hamburger, in my humble opinion, in D.C. is at Burger Tap and Shake on Washington Circle. Well, Dr. Lee, thank you very much. I I didn't I went to. uh I think friend of a farmer for brunch was very, very good. There's, there's some, there's some pretty quality food here in the district. It's not New York, but it's not bad. Food wise. I give it a, uh, for a city, it's a B plus it's B plus. It doesn't have a great regional cuisine, right? So it's not like, uh, even if you're in, I was going to say, I don't know if you're in San Diego, for example, you've got, you know, obviously fantastic Mexican food, Southern California. Uh, but D.C.'s got a pretty good mix of, of other things you could check out. Uh, so here we go. We Michael writes. Uh, I get for your TV show, I give you a B or a B plus. I don't grade on a curve. <laughs> OK, Michael, I think that's fair. 
I think that's fair. If I were grading my performance today on TV, I think a, I think a B would probably be, you know, not my best. I got to get in a little more. I like wearing a tie. I got to be honest with you. I'm a guy who likes to wear a tie. So that's something else to, uh, to consider. Um, and there's some other things I'm thinking about, too. I kind of want to go rolled up sleeves, tie askew. I used to do that on Real News just because I liked it. You remember Real News and the Blaze? And then I think they're like, no, no, you know, it's not formal looking or it doesn't look professional or whatever. And you're not some guy who just came off the trading floor of Goldman Sachs. But I kind of like that, that, you know, getting down into it. But I also like to hunch over the table and I got to work on posture. And there's all this TV. I just love radio. I mean, this is, I will tell you all this right now. This is a true story. At one point I had to sit down maybe four or five years ago with one of the most powerful TV news executives, I guess you'd have to say, in the world. And he asked me, so you do radio, you do TV. Which one is your favorite? And like, I, you know, this may be why I, I did not end up in this particular circumstance uh, getting, getting the job that was under, under consideration. But I was like, oh, radio. <laughs> yeah, exactly, John. If somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes. Um, yeah, as Winston put it so well. You know, I, I, I said radio, and then I realized that wasn't, that wasn't the answer that I was supposed to give. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but it's true. I like this more. I like talking to all of you more. And, and quite honestly, it's nice to not have to worry about what other people's expectations are for you know, the segments and the, the this and the that and, and everything else. Uh, so, you know, there you have it. Uh, a few more here on Roll Call before we shut down the hut for the night. Uh, Steven writes, Shields Highbuck, love the show and listen via podcast. Listening to Friday's Roll Call about Michael Jordan versus LeBron, MJ is by far the better player. MJ is 6-0 and in the finals and LeBron is 3-6 and in the finals. If MJ didn't take two years off for baseball, they would have won eight championships in a row. People have very strong opinions on this MJ versus uh, MJ versus LeBron situation. And I can I can tell. So yeah. Uh, anyway, team, I, if you haven't got a chance, please do tune in. Actually, you tune in to tomorrow's show. Uh, I'm going to sit down with Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Uh, have for a, a, a TV interview. We're going to talk about the IG report and a whole bunch of other very, very important things. So that's something to look forward to. And uh, it's just, you go to hilltv.rising if you want to check it out. And that's what you do. Also, I have not forgotten about the Freedom Hut podcast. I, oh, gosh. I'm, I'm, I'm slipping on my... Uh, I got my to-do list for the week and I've, I've got to get that one out and get that done. So I think we'll get hopefully get that listed at least tonight so i can start recording it for uh, for tomorrow or monday that's the plan at least um please do uh, tell a friend about the show uh, you guys are the reason i keep doing this you guys are the reason i put up with you know moving from one city to another and work i don't know i've been up since five o'clock in the morning i'm working like 14 hour days these days so it's so i can put out good product that uh, you all enjoy and feel like is worth your time you learn something so please do tell some folks and uh, thank you all for being with me. The good news is I've always got my friends, no matter what city I'm in, and it's all of you. And until tomorrow, Shields High.
You guys might have seen this viral video of a raccoon that like ran up an entire building. Guess what? Raccoons, foxes, and other predators, they can find their way into your yard even if it's fenced in, right? So you want to make sure they can't dig under the fence, make it harder for them to get in there, and that's why you need Dig Defense. Dig Defense keeps those mangy critters from getting into your yard and attacking your beloved pets. It also keeps your pets safe and sound by making sure they can't dig under the fence and get outside. See, what Dig Defense does is it extends the protection of your fence underground. No amount of digging is going to let your pets out or let predators in. It comes in a bunch of different models and sizes. It'll fit your needs exactly. Hammer and gloves, all you need to install it. So if you got pets and you don't want them to dig under the fence, go to Dig Defense right now. And it's available online at Lowe's, Menards, and Wayfair or at StopTheDig.com. Again, Dig Defense at StopTheDig.com.